0: This is the Pencils and Lipstick podcast, a podcast for creatives, for those who are beginning to be creative or those who have built a business around their creativity. Here, we allow creatives to tell their story about how they got to where they are today. And we give some tips on how to make your creative business better than it was yesterday. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast. Today is November 8th. This is podcast number 106. And today I have with me Tiffany Clark Harrison. I'm excited for you guys to hear from her. If you don't know her, she has a great newsletter, first of all. But she describes herself as an author, an intuitive writing coach, and a developmental editor at Rochelle Writers Studio. That's at rachelwriterstudio.com, and that link will be in the show notes. You can find out more about Tiffany Clark Harrison at tiffanyclarkharrison.com, and I just pause because Clark ends with an e, but of course that link will also be in the show notes. I'm excited to have you guys hear her because I think that she has a little bit of a nuanced idea about writing and about editing and about using your intuition to guide your story and guide your writing. I think it's a little bit different for this day and age of rapid release and getting everything out at once and plotting. And I know that we talk to a lot of different people here who have a lot of different ideas. And I almost always agree like 80% with everybody because in the end it's about finding what works for you. I was talking to a woman in the creative writing community the other day, and she had this epiphany that her first draft is kind of her outline. Like she goes, you know, she gets it done as quickly as possible or as quickly as life allows. And it's kind of like the outline for her where then she goes back and she fills it in and she doesn't have any expectations for it. And I think that process can be a really good process. Not to have that expectation, and it's not that it's a bad first draft and I know you know Stephen King calls it the first draft is never that great. I'm thinking about whether I want to swear on the podcast or not, but you know <laughs> he uses another word for bad first draft, and it's I don't know it's not that it's a bad one, it's just that it's it's the dump, right, like the story dump, and then you go back and you fix it, and maybe. If you plot out and you really think of the storyline, well, your first draft won't be that bad, but I don't think it's bad to have a bad first draft. You know, this is really all about finding what works for you. And I don't think that anybody's one method is going to work perfectly for you. You know, I really like the reading the three-story method. I'm reading a couple other craft books on storytelling and writing, and I think all of it helps, all of it. And then it's about sitting down and getting your stories out. And the story that I'm going to write right now, I mean, right now, right now, as you listen to this, I'm in Nepal, but when I get back and continue working on my next book, I've really thought about that story for a long time and it's changed a lot. I haven't, you know, I just started writing it this summer, but it's like this, this story I could go deeper with a few things. I was out for a run the other day. And I thought I could could go deeper with different things here, and I could really play around in writing it from the man's perspective. It was going to be written from two people's perspective, and and I'm even playing around with the idea of maybe making it a duology, um, having his perspective and her perspective. I don't know, honestly. I don't know. I have thirty five thousand words on it already, having written that in July, and I'm curious to see where it will take me. So I I say all that to, to tell you, you don't have to agree 100% with every single person that comes into the pencils and lipstick podcast, but I think that you can learn something from everybody. And really, if you, if you hear something that really resonates with you, I would encourage you to, to go along those lines and dig a little bit deeper into what their method is or what is it that, that really resonated with you. So You know, if plotting and a couple, you know, really getting things out and having a method or whatever doesn't really resonate with you with the last few guests that have been on here, take a listen to Tiffany Clark Harrison. She has a different way of going about things. She's gotten her books out, she's had really great success, and you might really enjoy what she has to offer. She works with writers. She is having a group come out. She talks a lot about what she offers other writers. So I encourage you to listen to this and to have an open mind always for every single guest that we have on. As you know, right now, I'm probably, I am (laughs) recording this before I go. And I am at the moment, as you listen to this in the middle of my Nepal adventure. And as I record this, I'm Hoping that everything's going well in my future <laughs> with my future self. So, if you are not informed about this adventure or you didn't know, you can go over to Instagram and follow me at catcaldwell.author. And I will be documenting everything there as far as, you know, whenever I have Wi Fi to upload pictures and maybe do a few live videos. I don't know. I, I hope to really document the trip. I'm hoping to, that it will be awesome. I'm super excited. I leave in just a few more days. As I record this, I am getting you know ready to go. <laughs> so um, I hope that you continue to enjoy the Pencils and Lipstick podcast. If you want to help the podcast, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash pencils, underscore lipstick. I know I always get this wrong, but the the links are in the show notes. We would love to have you become a Patreon. You'll get a shout out on the show. You help move this podcast forward, keeping it going. And you keep my editor (laughs) happy. No, she gets paid anyway. But you know, you become a patron of the show. We really appreciate it. Both Christy and I, she's my editor. We appreciate your support. You'll get a shout out on the show. and then. You know, just keep listening. Share this episode, share the podcast, Head on over to Instagram and check out pencils and lipstick. It's all spelled out over there and see the new logo and see the new sort of layout. It's big and bold and beautiful. I really enjoy it. I really like it. So check it out. Let me know what you think about it if you didn't know that the logo changed. I'm trying to get it changed on all the platforms and for some reason, it's taking forever. So hopefully it's changed by now. But head on over to Instagram at pencils and lipstick all spelled out. Let me know what you think about the colors and the layout. I, I think it's really awesome. Um, And you can always find the guests over there. And if you love the show, please review it wherever you are listening. That helps so much. I had like an influx of reviews And I think now it's been a few months. (laughs) So if you like the show, please go over and review it wherever you're listening, whether it's Google Play or iTunes or Spotify or whatever. And without further ado, I'll stop promoting the show and I'll let you listen to Tiffany Clark Harrison. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Pencils and Lipstick podcast. Today, I'm with Tiffany Clark Harrison. She is author of If I Fell, and she's also a writing mentor, and I'm very excited to talk to her about her writing methods because they're a little bit different than a few people we've had on the show. So hello, Tiffany. How are you? I'm doing well. Getting over a cold, but I'm doing well. How are you? At least you have some voice. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you. Thank you. Hopefully you'll have voice by the time we're done. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Before we get into your book and your writing mentorship, could you tell us a little bit about where you're from,
1: who you are? Sure. So like Kat said, my name is Tiffany Clark Harrison. I'm a writing mentor and I live in North Carolina, but I don't claim it though because I'm a military brat. So I always just say like, I'm not from anywhere or I'm from everywhere. I was born in San Diego and... um, my husband and I moved here from Washington, DC area. And I think okay. because that's where like I went to college and spent like my early twenties. That's the place that I'm like, that's my home. So Yeah, of yeah. course.
0: I am actually in the DC area now.
1: Oh, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, Yeah. we moved here last year. So we're in Arlington. Also, my brother lives in Alexandria, and I used to live in Alexandria for a long time. My husband's from Fairfax County.
0: Okay. Alexandria is so cute. Had I understood the area. Every time you move, you'll know this. You have no idea where you're going. Right. So you're just (laughs) like, I don't know. I need a place to live. Yeah. And then like a year later, you're like, oh, I want to live there. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's cuter over there.
1: I did a um, trip with two girlfriends a few years ago. We just stayed in Old Town, and I was like, "This is where I need to live." If my family comes with me, that's fine. If they stay in North Carolina, that's fine. But this <laughs> so is where funny. I need to live.
0: At least like a little writing enclave or something. Right, get away exactly. too it would be so cute. If nobody knows what we're talking about, go visit Alexandria,
1: Virginia. It's beautiful. So adorable.
0: So let's talk a little bit about how you got into writing. Have you always been a writer? What have you, what's your journey been like?
1: So the answer is yes and no. I remember writing something, I think it was like in the eighth grade. It was just like a poem. And I remember looking at it and being like, oh, this is kind of good for, you know, a 13, 14 year old, but so much so that I even showed it to my parents and they were like, oh, that's nice. And that could have been just being like encouraging parents (laughs) or it could be that they really thought so. And so I always wrote like, not always, but I remember I had a book I was writing on our computer. This was in like 1994 and when you had the reams of paper with like the perforated edges yes. I on, and wrote a book and it was called Camp Juicy Fart. I have no idea why it was called that. <laughs> <laughs> um, But like, because you were
0: young. That's why it's called that.
1: <laughs> and I had like, I don't even really remember what's about, probably just about like, oh, I want to be popular. Let's write a book where I'm popular or whatever it was. And then like throughout high school and stuff, I didn't really do much with it. I was a business major in undergrad. And then I just wasn't, I'm not gonna say I wasn't great at it. I didn't enjoy it. And I ended up switching Mm. to English creative writing and senior year, my professor, Dr. Waters, he was handing back our portfolios and we were at his house and he handed me mine and he didn't like quite give it to me. Like he just kind of stuck it out. He was like, the only reason you're getting a B is because you don't talk enough. And I was like, God, oh, fine. And he said, but you will write a book someday. And oh, nice. I was so embarrassed. I was like 21, I guess. And I was just like, oh, that's nice. Thanks. <laughs> and like to get back like I didn't want because it was in front of everybody. Too
0: much attention. <laughs> right.
1: But <laughs> those words have never left me. I mm-hmm. had started a draft, which is now if I fell. When I was 19. And I think I worked on that draft a little bit in undergrad. And I tell people that If I Fell was 20 years in the making, which makes it sound super daunting for <laughs> new writers. But it was one of those things where, you know, you start a book at 19 and then you look at it at 22 and you're like, oh my gosh, this is horrendous. And then, like, you kind of go back over it. And then I would put it down for a few years and then pick it up at like 26 and be like, oh my gosh, this is horrendous. And then (laughs) work through it again, because one, you get better as a writer and two, you're just not the same person at 19 and 22, et cetera. Yes. So I had left that one. Actually, I think I submitted it to PitMad, the contest, pitch contest on Twitter And had a few people, few agents request full uh, manuscripts, but then like that didn't go anywhere. So I put it aside and I started my second book and then I would go between those books for a few years. And then after I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed with MS in 2017 and I decided I wanted to finish that first book. And it wasn't even a thing where I was like, I'm going to get an agent, blah, blah, blah was like, I'm just going to self-publish this book because I just want it out of my system and I want it to be done. And I knew it was good enough. I I don't even want to say good enough. I enjoyed it. And not even just from a, oh, I wrote it, so I enjoyed it kind of standpoint. But I really thought other people would enjoy it as well. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't something I was comfortable just like leaving on a hard drive or something somewhere. So yeah, I gave myself, I think it was, well, I applied to an MFA program and got in and workshopped that first chapter. Okay. And after I got great feedback on the first chapter, I think my professor was like, this is professional level writing. And from there I was just like, okay, like I didn't workshop the rest of it. I just decided, I think this was, I just, I gave myself like three months and I said, oh, wow, edit it. Cause it was mostly done, but then okay. I said, edit it, get like a copy editor for it. Right. I wasn't going to do a dev editor again. I had already had like a partial edit on that. Find someone to design the book cover, all those things, knock it out in three months. And I think I went over by like a week, but like I did it and submitted it and then worked on my second book, which was now picked up throughout my MFA program. So that's that's my
0: uh, journey. (laughs) That's awesome. So how much do you think that book changed from age 19?
1: Oh my gosh. They're at least like 30 iterations <laughs> of that book. I stopped counting. I had more like, again, this was late 90s, early 2000s, like flop at the time, actually. It Floppiness. was. Called, yeah. <laughs> it was called Shades of Grey. And no yeah. way. And then in 2000, freaking whatever year it was, when I saw 50 Shades of Grey come out, I was like, well, it's done. It's done. I can't do this. And which like,
0: Reading, reading what your books about—they're really different. They're totally
1: different <laughs> from the books, but like I was like, well, I can't call it that anymore. So that's um, true; it'll get confused. Oh, that what a bummer! So yeah, I just had floppy disks with Shades of Gray or Sog all over them, and then so many drafts. And I still have a Yahoo account. um I use Gmail too. Not that old. School, but I still have a Yahoo account. <laughs> um, so many emails in my yahoo account where it's like shades of gray current shades of gray Current. <laughs> that's yep. like from whatever year it was so i have no idea but it's at least like 30 the ending has changed like five times and but i smile still i'll look at the book and i there are still pieces that were originally there or As original as I can remember, like maybe from draft like seven, I still consider that more original. And yeah, so it was a lot of work. I don't mean to put off new writers (laughs) and feeling like you have to have that many drafts. You don't, but um, I attribute that more to my age and then just how my writing, because the first draft that my MFA professor was like, oh, this is like professional quality. That was not the first draft. Right. <laughs> of, right. In 1999. Like, that wasn't the first draft at all or first chapter at all. So, um, right. Yeah.
0: Well, it's like, I think a lot of writers have either a start of a book or a full book that they'll never bring out. Right. So, it's, I mean, they could go back and look at it and say, like, well, what pieces could I take from this? Yeah. And I mean, eventually it's going to be a whole new book because, like you said, from 19. 19- yeah to whatever age we are, we're not the same person. We know more. We might be a little more cynical than, right. <laughs> than, than what we were at that point. Um, but yeah, whether we keep it in the drawer or we rework it, technically it's 20 years later, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. It's not like you're working on it every day for 20 years.
1: No, no, no. I would go a good like three years without looking at it at all. And then be like, cause I also have a master's in business. So there was a detour for a little bit. And then (laughs) getting a chronic illness has a way of bringing you back to (laughs) what you always wanted to be doing. But I was—I had a master's in business and I worked or got one and I worked in marketing for a while and Hmm. and it was not like fulfilling to me at all. And so every once in a while, I'd be like, oh, remember when you were going to be a writer? Let's look at that book again. And what would happen is I would get into it and like, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even really look at it and be like, I mean, sometimes the really earlier drafts, yes, this is terrible. But like once I moved into like my early thirties, there was a lot there that I could still keep and I'd be reading it. Like you can't let this sit. And then for a few months I'd work on it and then life, you know, I have kids and, um, husband job, like all the things. So, um, then I wouldn't look at it again. And then I'd start something else. And then it would just go away. And then but it always gets to a point where, are you doing this? Or are you not doing this? Right. And waking up. So I didn't know I had MS. I one day I just had really bad spins. Like, I'm not someone who drinks a lot. But like, I I guess it's what like people who are totally wasted call the spins. But like, not just spinning in a circle, but like topsy turvy Alice in Wonderland spins. Oh, wow.
0: That and sounds um,
1: cool. I couldn't stop vomiting. And so my husband, I told him, like, I just shouted, like, this was at like 11 at night one night. And I was just on the bathroom floor and I was like, call an ambulance. And then ambulance came, fire trucks came. My kids at the time were like 11, no, not even 10, and 8 maybe or 9 and 7 something like that. So my husband just had them like stay in the living room where they couldn't see anything and firemen got here first. They carried me downstairs and this is how I know like there's always still a little piece of me regardless of how bad things get. I was like as they were carrying me out. I was like, "Oh my god, they're seeing all the laundry I haven't put away on the floor <laughs> in my bedroom." <laughs> That went away quickly, but like, I remember being in bed. <laughs> um, oh
0: gosh. I think that's just typical woman. <laughs> like, the fact that we would like our minds make us think of that stuff.
1: <laughs> there were like three laundry baskets. All like I'm dying. <laughs> and um, I got in, they put me in the ambulance and the paramedic was putting in the IV And I remember opening my eyes and, you know, the ambulance doors, you know, they're vertical. And I opened them and they were sideways. Mm. And I was like, why did they put me on the side of the ambulance? That doesn't make any sense. And then very quickly, I was like, oh, no, my vision has just turned sideways. And I just shut my eyes and I didn't open them for several hours. And by the time I got to the ER, I think my vision was back right side, uh right side up. I think that's correct. But I was seeing double. So I still kept my eyes oh my closed gosh. most of the time and they couldn't get me to stop throwing up. And my husband was there and my kids were there. My, I don't make mean to make this like a sad story. <laughs> my son, because he was so small for years after anytime he would see an ambulance, just like on the street, he'd be like, is mom okay? Is mom going to the oh, hospital? And like, it was just, It wasn't a good time. But then they admitted me, and I was just pretty delirious. Like I'd been throwing up for 12 hours or dry heaving and whatever else, and just seeing double. And then I was on all kinds of medicine. They did tests. They were like, You, they thought I had MS, then they said I had it. And I remember being really relieved because I thought they were going to, I was like, I have cancer or something like that. And then Mm. when they said MS, I had just heard like I didn't know entirely what it was but I heard of people having it and it seemed like something that that you could live okay with you know Mm -hmm. and I didn't know much about it at all but um yeah I was really just incoherent and out of it for a long time and I was in the hospital that first time for like six days and the first time I woke up and I was pretty coherent like we were going my husband and I were going back and forth about a schooling decision for my son and I remember I woke up I was like we're gonna send foster that's my son we're gonna send foster to that one school like I was super decisive all of a sudden (laughs) I was like he's (laughs) gonna go to that one school and I'm gonna publish my book because I can't believe like I don't think at any point I was going to die but I didn't know that and right. so I was like I have not published a book. That's all yeah. I've ever wanted to do, is publish a book. What are you doing? And I didn't right. even rate myself, but it was very much like when all this is said and done, you you're writing a book. And so that was July 2017 and nothing happens overnight, but like right. by by the end of the year 2018 I'd been accepted into an MFA program like that. Just one day I just looked at my husband. We were both sitting in bed and I was like, I've always wanted to get an MFA and I didn't because I didn't think it was practical. I'm done with being practical because we're only here for a minute. I know I owe freaking department of education a million dollars for my MBA. (laughs) But guess what? (laughs) What's another 50 grand on top of a million? So, <laughs> like I applied to one school. I was one of 15 who got in for wow. the fiction track. Yeah. And that was it from there. Like I thought I would have a business doing marketing stuff because that's what I was doing before, but I was like, you don't even like that. You love Working on art correction. I like doing marketing, but your aesthetic has to be like almost exactly like mine. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> that would I'm be all, hard. Yeah, I'm an INFP in Myers Briggs, and going through, reading through what an INFP is all about, it's like, oh, that's why I hate my job <laughs> 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 because I hate all the ways, like color schemes and everything else that they do. And because it's not me at all. But anyway, but yeah, I I would
0: follow what you say, because your websites
1: are beautiful. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) They should just do what you tell them to do. (laughs) So, yeah, and that's where a lot of what I was doing in the MFA program was what I do now. Or it was more like a jumping off point. But then bringing in that intuitive piece, because there's a lot not just an MFA program, but it's just in writing where it's like little things like write every day or this has to be like this or this has to be like that. And it's like, okay, maybe at some point, but that can deter a lot of people from just doing the initial writing. And it's like, you'll clean it up afterwards. Just like get it out. There's a quote from James Baldwin. I don't remember the whole thing, but the one part that always sticks in my head, he says, vomit the anguish up. And that's, What I look at, I won't even say the first draft, like the first two to three, maybe it's just really just get it all out and don't worry about if it's beautiful or if it makes sense. I share this example a lot. My second book, it started where it's about a husband and wife where the wife had this intern that was trying to seduce her. And then by the middle of the book, I decided that's something I didn't want to do anymore. And I never went back and like, took it out or did anything with it. But I just finished it. And I sent it to a dev editor, like I paid a dev editor. And I was and she came back. She's like, so there was this part where the affair was maybe going to happen. And then it just went away. I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> <But it's> like, <laughs> I got bored. I, I couldn't deal with it. And I just wanted you to look at it. And like I dealt with it afterwards but Mm -hmm. like I feel like people a lot of times they are willing or they're afraid or feel like they can't do something like that and I don't see that as a waste yes I knew that the editor would point that out and that I would have to take that out but if I had waited to figure out okay what does this look like without that before just allowing myself to finish and sending it to that editor. I don't know what I would have sent it to the editor. You see what I'm saying? Like, and yes. I just sat on that for so long and um, it's being comfortable with being like, yeah, I don't know where this is going. And apparently it went nowhere and that's all right. Like I'll work it out later. Like it doesn't all have to be so precise or so
0: precise. exact yeah. right now. That's what I really like about the way that you talk about writing is like in this world of plotting and all the beats I'm hearing now is a word (laughs) as I look into the beat and the chapter and the character and the, you have to have all these things out and there's nothing wrong with that if it works for you, but there are times that like, you just want to write. Yeah. And if you feel inundated with this, like, Kindle, get it out. Write another story. There are people that write like twenty stories a year. And like I don't understand oh, wow. how how you develop it enough. Yeah. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm just slower. But there's got to be a place for us writers who are like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to plot yeah. everything because I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> like- exactly.
1: <laughs> I know. So a lot of the people, most if not all. Of the people that I work with, it's and also because I just write this way. I consider myself a slower writer, but I also know, particularly if I say this is going to be done in three months, I can knock it out in three months. Mm -hmm. But I have to truly be saying that and like deep in my gut, no, that's a thing I can do if I just say it. And my gut's like, oh, are you sure about that? Like, it's not going to happen. But. Yeah, when I first started like on Instagram getting into like writing communities and stuff and everybody's talking about outlining and I'm like, outlining? What What do you What do you mean? <laughs> I know, I know. I, I can't outline a book. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> how, am I, how am I supposed to outline it? I've never outlined and people could say, well, like, oh, that's why it took you 20 years to finish your first book. I mean, no, but like my second book, I think that took me about six years, but like actual writing time, probably about two because I just, my brain literally, and I do mean literally, particularly as an NF, so at Myers-Briggs, you know, the intuitive feeling person. So whether you're extroverted or introverted, our brains just don't really function (laughs) that way with such like rigid, we need to know, we need to know, we need to know, particularly as intuitives it comes to you. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people look at me sideways when I say that, but like, there's a story I shared on Instagram, probably last year, where the second book, I had a very loose idea of what it was going to be. And actually, I just had one character. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was sitting down, I'm pointing at the corner, I was sitting, (laughs) I was sitting down reading another country by James Baldwin. And I was deep in that book. It was the middle of the day, like two o'clock in the afternoon. And all of a sudden my body was just like, take a shower. I was like, I don't need to take a shower. Like I'm reading and it's two and I'm clean. <laughs> <It's fine. laughs> and I don't <laughs> and, smell that. And, <laughs> like, and so I kept reading But it was weird. Like it kept, I kept getting this thought, like, get in the shower, take a shower. And I was like, fine, I'll take a shower. And I put the book down. I took a shower. My whole book came to me.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: And not like every single little detail, but like I knew where I was taking it and it was the wildest thing. And I got out of the shower and I knew I couldn't write fast enough. And that's why voice memo was amazing. And on, I talked for like 13 minutes. And I remember at the end of it, I said, I really hope this makes sense when I listen to this <laughs> again. <laughs> and it still does. So it's fine. But because I also, this book is a little bit more complicated in structure. Okay. And I'll share this is a, what's it called, spoiler. But by 2026, when it comes out, like it won't matter. <laughs> um, <laughs> basically, it's three separate characters in three separate parts. But you find out in the last part that. The three separate characters was always one person. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So like, I don't know all the exact details of figuring out how that's going to work. But the story itself, it just showed up. And I remember after recording it, like, sitting down like, wait, so this is really how when you just listen to the little things your body tells you, like something as simple as take a shower and you actually do it, that's how, at least for me, and usually a lot of intuitives and intuitive and feelings, personalities in Myers-Briggs, that's how things can show up for us. Or even the second book, I needed to take one of the characters, like a very minor character, but a little bit deeper. And Mm. so I talk about music a lot. I sat down with music, I was like, okay, this character's name is Jameson. What music does Jameson listen to? What music represents him? And I just laid in bed with headphones listening to that music. Like, and I just, sometimes I ask a question like, all right, Jameson, what do you need me to see? What am I missing? And I got something for him. But before that, I got the ending of my book and I wasn't at the end yet. And so... When I was done, I didn't write the ending, but I just wrote down like, this is what the ending looks like, basically. And then I went back and did the work I needed to do on that one character. And it's just being open to one, a lot of intuitive writers, chronological order, like, please, like, that's not a thing that really, (laughs) like, you can do it. But don't force yourself to do it if it's not really, because a lot of the times that's not how things show up for you. The end of my book showed up well before I got to the end of my book. And it's not to say that you can't go ahead and write the end or whatever part you're at or whatever part was shown to you. But I just decided not to because Mm -hmm. you also just have to know yourself. If I started to write the end, I know I would get so caught up and what that looked like and not finesse the part that I needed to with the other character. And that was really more important to me at that time. Right. Because I loved the end that came so much that I knew that that would come out pretty, I don't want to say effortlessly, but like it wouldn't be a struggle. Right. To get through. So kind of like one of my friends at my old job used to say, um, eat the frog like you do the thing that you don't want to do exactly. or that's get, harder in, first. get it over with right um so I was like let's you know work on this one scene with this one character that needs to go deeper and then if I want to go back to the end and write that I can but I didn't I wanted to keep going cuz by that point I was on like draft 3 so most of the book was already there so I could right. move through it chronologically but yeah by the time I got to the end like I was just so excited about what I was going to write, but that's how the end showed up for me. And so that's why, yes, I could outline, I guess, using that same methodology, but it's so much more fun for me to write. And if I feel like it's work, scratch that. And if I feel like it's work, but if I know I'm not enjoying the process, then I'm least likely to do it. So like, I'm a grown up. And you're not going to enjoy everything about writing a book. (laughs) You have to sit down and you just do it. But there needs to be even an element of joy in there for me. And the books I write and the way in which I write brings me that. So and kind of going back to not having to follow rules all the time. The copy editor for my first book. Um, when I got her note, she was like, so I notice a lot of sentence fragments, but I'm not going to note those anymore because I think that's just your style. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's definitely just my style. can like, there are, and I know there was a workshop I was co-leading a while ago. And I remember I read a small piece and I remember one person pointed out, I noticed a lot of those sentences started with and or, but, and I thought we weren't supposed to do that. And I was like, Oh, you can do what you want, honey. (laughs) Like I don't think people now I say that you can do what you want. It has to make sense for your book and for your story, but you don't have to be confined to these rules. I have a friend who just started teaching at a university and she asked her students, what scares you most about writing? And they all said grammar and making mistakes. And I like that just made me so sad. Yeah. Because that's that's not why we write. <laughs> right. Besides that grammar
0: and spelling have changed right. immensely over the years. And, yeah. and I mean, sure, a comma can change the, the right, significance right. of a sentence at times, but yes. that can be fixed.
1: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> But things like starting a sense like, oh, I thought we weren't supposed to start with because I'm like, well, then my whole book is wrong. <laughs> like, <laughs>
0: right. And I think a lot of us harken back to our, like our high school writing class. And, yeah. you know, those teachers got to read like 28 essays. So I'm <laughs> sure they're like, oh, my gosh, these are the rules. Just follow them, guys. Right. Yeah. But we can then almost be overeducated on the rules and yep. then. Like, how do you find your voice at that point? Your style, right. yeah. how you want to tell a story.
1: Yeah. It's funny you mentioned voice. And I'll just share a quick story. That book that got picked up, it didn't start out fragmentary. It started out more chronological and just more traditional in essence. Okay. And I'd sent it to my now agent. And she was like, ah, something's not quite right. She said, I see uh, what's it called? If you re- revised it, I'd look at it again. I took. She wanted me actually to cut the husband as a narrator, and I was just like, "Oh my gosh, it's a third of the book! I'm not doing that. That's terrible. <laughs> I can't." <laughs> and so I just didn't, and I was adamant he needed to be there. And then I took it through my first semester, and halfway through the first semester, I was like, "Oh damn it, she's right. I need to I gotta cut, cut him as a narrator."
0: Isn't it funny how emotional we can be as writers? We might keep it inside, but people will say stuff and we'll be like, oh, no.
1: (laughs) I didn't want to do it because I was adamant that the book was about them as a couple. And Mm. what happened was I wasn't listening to my book. And I know that sounds out there, but like I wasn't listening enough. And my book was telling me it is not about them as a couple. It is about her. and. I just wasn't hearing that though, because I was so fixated on, no, I'm writing a book about this couple. Right. So once I cut him and I decided to make it fragmentary, I had my next workshop look at the first chapter as fragmented and the first chapter as it was more traditional. Because that first time too, I was like, I'm getting an agent for this book. I need to have an agent for this book. This is how I'm going to write it. So I'm going to do like the most traditional thing mm-hmm. I could possibly do. So an agent can't say no to this. And the agent said no. So it's <laughs> not <Isn't that> funny. <laughs> <laughs> I did it fragmented. I showed my workshop the first chapter fragmented and the first chapter um more traditionally. And they were like, my, my professor goes You can do whatever you want, obviously, but do the fragmented one. (laughs) And from there, I just went and um, I actually submitted the fragmented book back to that same agent six months before I even graduated from the program. And it was the same agent. She hadn't heard from me in two years. And I was just like, hi, I don't know if you remember me. This is what my book was about. You said you'd be open to seeing revisions here I am two years later, knock yourself out. And she said she read it in one sitting and like, she signed me right away. So, wow. and so that's very much like for those who are like, no, I know agents want X, Y, Z. So this is how I need to do it. And da da, da, da. I totally threw all of that out the window and just wrote a book that felt really good to me. And yes, I workshopped it through my program, but wrote a book that I would not put anything in my book that did not feel good to me, regardless of who said it. Right. And that's the book that I got an agent with.
0: That's awesome. So do you think though, that writing out his character helped you to understand, like, do you think
1: that if you had started out fragmented, that it would be the same book? Oh no, it needed to be done the way it was done. Cause I know people too are like, they, like you were saying, the person who writes like 20 stories in a year or something, and they're just like, no, but I just want to knock it out. And it's like, but, right. I mean, I guess you can just, quote, knock it out. But right. I wouldn't know him at the level that I knew him if I didn't completely like write through everything about him to then be able in the fragmented story to pull out exactly what I needed from his story that supported her central story. Right. Right. trying to figure that out as I went, it would have been a lot harder because once I decided to do the fragmented part story, I had already written two to three drafts of it more and more chronological, like traditional order. So all of it was worked out. It was now just, how am I piecing this together without him as a narrator to continue to uplift her story, which is also his story, but it's really about her evolution and all of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so from the beginning of my so I don't know if this is co- content warning, trigger warning for miscarriage, but they're dealing with miscarriage and infertility. And I remember in the beginning thinking, you only ever hear it from the woman's side. So I Mm -hmm. wanted to hear from the male's, the husband's perspective too. And, or I should say the other person who was not carrying the child. And so that's why I wanted to keep him. But as the story evolved, I realized it was so much more about her identity. Mm. So this is a multi-ethnic mixed-race woman. She's half Black and half Japanese and just never felt like she fit anywhere. Right. And her husband is white Jewish. And her story just came to the forefront a lot more. And mm-hmm. it was interesting that the agent was like, you know, you need to cut him. She said either cut him or make him his parts more compelling. And reading that, it reminded me I had more fun writing her than I did writing him. That's your book telling you. Yeah. And like, I didn't want to admit that again, because I was like, no, this is a book about the couple. And once I let that story, that narrative in my head go and just let the book be what it was. I'm not going to say it just flowed out, like, but it felt so much better. And right. I'll also point out too, this book is only 33,000 words. I cut, it was originally like 61. So yeah, I cut about 30,000 words from my book, which people like fall over when I tell them that, but it is what it needs to be right now.
0: Right, right. right. As long as it's the, the best compelling story. Like- yeah. I could read 500 pages or 50 pages. Right. It it's a story that, you know, is going to stick with you. Yeah. And I think a lot of writers, especially when we're starting out, we get that idea in our head of what it's going to be. And then it's so hard to let it go right. of like, and I've learned just over the last year, honestly, of just, okay, it might be what sparked the idea, but it doesn't, Mean that that's the finished
1: product. Exactly, and you've
0: got to wrap your head around (laughs) it. Otherwise, it won't be what it should be. Right. You know, and cutting is so hard sometimes, but it doesn't mean you have to erase it. It's on your hard drive. Right. (laughs) (laughs) But it's weird how much work can go into this final product that doesn't show up to anyone else. And no one knows how much work is like on the cutting floor. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I Like I said, I have 30,000 words on the cutting floor and probably actually more than that because I think the first draft was like 80,000 words and then it slowly just kind of was chipped down to 33. And I tell people this all the time. Your book is smarter than you. So can you just get out of the way? (laughs) (laughs) Your book is way smarter than you. It already knows what it needs to be. It's just waiting for you to catch up.
0: That's so true.
1: Like sometimes, yeah, it'll take a couple of years to catch up. Sometimes it'll take a month or two. And so like with this current book, I'm doing my best to just like, because it is so different for me Mm -hmm. and a lot more challenging for me, particularly like I like to write in first person and Mm um this book is not allowing me to do that as much because if it's not going to be revealed till the end that they're all the same person it can't be in first person because in first person mm. you have access to so much more interiority that right like it i would reveal in the first paragraph <laughs> of that right that'd be know, really hard right so writing in third person has been it's just different for me, and so yeah. you do have to go back to some of the rules, and I'm like, okay, oh, am I doing some head hopping here? Like I shouldn't be doing that, or whatever else. But at the same time, not allowing that to impede the actual writing. Like if I find that I'm getting caught up on little things like that, it's like it's time to take a break. Like, yeah, go have a '90s Madonna dance party in the kitchen, or like go for a walk, or take a nap, or just go like we were redecorating a lot of the rooms in our house, like go look at paint colors, like go do something creative and different to get you back in this more intuitive frame of mind, because also those use different sides of your brain. So like getting focused on editing or on things like, Oh, first person or third or third person is this head hopping is this, this that's more of a logical left brain activity. And the actual writing is a right brain activity. And so jumping between both of those can be really challenging. And yes. it's a lot of the reason why, like when you're writing and you're trying to edit at the same time, you're like, how come I'm not getting anywhere? Well, because you're trying to use both sides of your brain at the same time that do totally different functions. <laughs> yeah. So, and
0: yeah. be open to like, just let somebody else point it out. I don't right. know how many times I switched tenses.
1: Yeah, like I are we writing in
0: in present or past? Like, I don't
1: know. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just need to get this story out, and
0: half exactly. the time it's like five drafts later, like, oh, there's still little present tense in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Make a choice. <laughs> it's like just allow yourself to corny as this might sound like just really be free. Like, mm-hmm. write, like you truly don't give a damn that anybody about who looks at it. And whenever I think that way and write that way, I write some scary stuff. Like, oh snap! I didn't know that was in there, but cool. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe really? need a therapist. Maybe we're just a really great fiction writer. Maybe both. I don't know.
0: <laughs> Sometimes writing is our therapy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, is this my character talking, or me talking?
1: <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> and I really think, particularly for. INFP INFJ personality types who like rigidity just like shuts us down that when you just allow your mind to be just open like let whatever wild thing come through will it end up in the final draft I don't know maybe Mm -hmm. maybe not but it could lead to the thing that does end up in the final draft and it can be hard when we're taught like from like you pointed out earlier from Elementary school, it's like alphabetical order in line, like this is the right way, this is the wrong way. And I've had to do a lot, a lot of unlearning of did I do it right? I call myself sometimes a former should girl because, like, I just do what I should do or like have that good girl syndrome that a lot of women were just, you know, directly or indirectly brought up with. And it's like, no, no, I've got to do this right. It's like, no. You just need to do it the way that feels good to you. Yeah. If this doesn't feel good, don't do it. So is that why
0: you started Rochelle Writer Studio? Because you wanted to help other writers sort of find this, break out of the rigidity and find this more intuitive way of writing?
1: Yeah, because a lot of what I see really is geared more towards people who like the writing sprints, like Mm -hmm. bust out whatever you can in 30 minutes. I've gone to some of those before. And I literally just sit there and, like, stare at my computer. I'm like, I don't, I I can't, like, this is too much pressure for me. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, the outlining and the, you know, if you're, you need to write the word count, that's the thing, too. It's like, oh, my God. 2500 words today that's awesome if that works for you but if I'm sitting there constantly checking my word count to see if I made whatever word count for Tuesday that just it doesn't feel good to me right so that's and I wanted a space for people who really just don't work that way at all yeah and then um so I had one client she wasn't she was very close to being done with her book but she signed on to work with me in my mentorship program. And it's one of those things where, like, it's three months. I can't tell you what's going to happen the first week or the second week or the third week. Like, it's not a breakdown like that. It's truly just whatever comes up. And, you know, one week, what came up was if I'm not being productive, uh, or the feeling that she needed to be productive. And when people mm-hmm. were asking, oh, how's the book coming? And if she didn't write that day, she wasn't feel like she would feel less than somehow. Right. And so we spent time going into where did this need to like perform productivity come from? And we don't sometimes either see or acknowledge that little things like that. Can Mm -hmm. seriously trip up your writing process because now you're writing for performance sake, or yeah, for someone that might not even read the book, or (laughs) like not writing and feeling ashamed because of it. That now when you sit down to write, there's this additional blockage because you have shame back there, and it's just it's just not working. And so helping her. Kind of get to the root of where some of these personal stories were coming from. That's why I say to like, I don't just treat the book, I treat the author because yeah. these are a lot of these practices too are things that, yes, you take with you in your book, but just in your everyday life in general. Like, okay, no, you don't need to perform productivity for your book or anywhere else. <laughs> you yeah. don't need to feel shame about, you know, this over here in your book or anywhere else. And um, learning how to kind of manage some of those feelings that were coming up because the feelings will come up, the insecurity will come up, the imposter syndrome or what I call a wounded past self, like that will come up. And it's not a matter of getting rid of them. It's when it does come up, looking at it and being like, okay, why are you saying these nasty things to me? Why are you telling me that I can't do this right now? And I truly look at it as, and I've told, so going back to that client, I had her sit down with, or actually it's a different client, sit down with a past self who felt that way and like do a meditation around, okay, this is how you felt at that time. I would like you as you are now to talk to that person and just let her talk and let her say how she felt and what she needs so that you can start being that person that you needed. I mean, it could have been last week. It could have been when you were 17. It could have been when you were four. Right. And once we start addressing, I don't want to call them issues, but those stories that we have and kind of the root cause of some of those stories, you find that your writing tends to open up too. So I know a lot of a lot of people I've worked with, they write about like religious unlearning in some aspect or they are writing about sex, but because they maybe had a religious upbringing, they feel like they can't say certain things or do certain things. And um, I've mentioned some other places. I had a client who she had so many plot points. And she just kept adding characters and adding all the things. And I encourage clients to like send me, they're like, oh, I'm rambling in my email. I'm like, no, ramble. Like, I want you to ramble once we start working together, because then I can start to see, like, you know, where the issues are coming. She sent me this long email and a 13 minute, 15 minute voice memo. And (laughs) I just let her talk during our session. And then I was like, what do you really want to say? Like, what is the thing you really actually want to say with this? And after a few minutes, we discovered what she really wanted to talk about was purity culture. Mm -hmm. And I said, are you talking about that? No. Well, then it makes sense why you keep adding plot points and characters and everything else because you're afraid to talk about this other thing. So you just so you know something's missing. So you just keep dumping more and more stuff on it. And she just kind of sat there, dumbfounded, and was like, "Oh, my gosh, I think you're absolutely right, but I'm not supposed to talk about those things." And this is like a thirty something year old right. woman, but we still carry a lot of those stories with us, right? And so we do I do a lot of that work. i you know I always say, when you sit down to write, you bring all of yourselves with you. Every person you used to be sits down to write with you. And when those people show up with saying mean, nasty things about why you can't or shouldn't or whatever, it's really sitting down and addressing with them why, why is this coming up? Because it's coming from a place of hurt. It's not coming from a place of like, what do they say about bullies? It's usually like a hurt person or mean girls. They're usually hurting somewhere and addressing that. But then also, yeah, we get into why is the scene working? Why isn't it working? (laughs) Kind of thing. right? And a lot of times too, what I'll say is, what are you really trying to say here? And they'll say what they're really trying to say. And I'm like, say that, (laughs) not what you have written here. Say the thing you just said, because that is powerful. But sometimes in writing too, I feel like, we feel like we need to be so beautiful and flowery or whatever and like say it so <laughs> yes. perfectly. And it's like, no, you need to say it like that because I relate to that way more than trying to decipher what this metaphor means. <laughs>
0: so. Exactly. I think it comes from those, those classic books that we were meant to yeah. make, made to read. <laughs> like. <laughs> Yeah. There's a good place for that too, but it's like, oh, if I don't give 1500 words in this chapter, yeah, uh, I'm going
1: like, to, nobody will think I'm a real writer.
0: <laughs> like, no. Yeah. So you have private mentoring yeah. that you do. And then you also have, and the links will be in the show notes for sure. Um, You also have a couple, a program called finish your book. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So what is the best way for people to find out about that? Is that to get on your newsletter or to go straight to the website?
1: either go to the website if it's like yeah I so finish your book is for those people who you have just had a draft sitting for like months years however long and you've just decided I, I just it's time to actually sit down and finish this but you're not quite ready for private coaching for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And with Finish Your Book, it essentially takes you through my whole process, which is what I call the art of intuitive writing. There are three separate phases. And with Finish Your Book, you get four group calls. So for four consecutive months after purchase where you can just roll up and with your questions and um, we do a live Q&A. So that's what Finish Your Book is. And then my private mentorship is for people who you have a deadline either self-imposed or like you have an agent already who's waiting for a draft maybe or if you are self-publishing you have an editor or like I had said giving myself three months to finish if I fell and publish it like something like that and you're just like no more screwing around I need help I can't do this on my own and a self-paced program's not cutting it for me because I need someone really to hold me accountable Mm -hmm. and then not just accountability but you want that person to brainstorm with.
0: And mm-hmm.
1: a lot of times uh, with clients, it's truly really just sitting down and talking through things and letting yes. them talk through things. And I just find in the talking, the answers bubble up. If not within that hour, the next day or that night or you know whatever yep. else it might be. So yeah, you can, if you're ready to jump on those things now, you can go straight to the website. Oh, I actually just added recently sometimes. So the mentorship is three months or six months. Sometimes you want that brainstorming and you, or you want to work through some of the mindset stuff that's holding you back or whatever it is, but you don't need the three months. I also have a half day intensive. Mm-hmm. So people can just be like, yeah, I need three and a half hours. Can we just really rip a certain part of the thing apart and talk through yeah. it? And so I have that as well. So if you know that you're ready for those right away, you can jump over to the site. If you want to just kind of get to know me a little bit more or, you know, learn about my process a little bit more than newsletters, uh, where to do that first.
0: Yes, I highly recommend your newsletter because it's it brings just a whole different perspective than what a lot of uh, probably the writing newsletters that people are already subscribed to. <laughs> But I really enjoy like your perspective and your calming effect, like the way that you write. I'm always like, okay, <laughs> okay yeah, I don't have to like perform for anyone. You know, I'm no. writing for me. Like, I enjoy writing every day, but I don't need to write my book every day. Or, you know, right. just, I don't know. I'm a highly intense person, so you <laughs> help <bring> me down. <laughs> okay. so I enjoy it, so I will definitely have the links in the show notes, as well as the links if I fell in. And- Everyone needs to be on the lookout in 2023, which is coming up faster than, honestly.
1: (laughs) It's coming up so
0: fast. What's the name of the book coming out? It's called Blue Hour. Blue Hour. All right. So we will keep a lookout for that. But thank you so much, Tiffany, for coming and talking to us. Hey, you're still listening. Since you are, could you do me a favor and head over to the app that you're listening to this episode on and hit the subscribe button and then rate and review the show? It would really help the Pencils of Lipstick podcast get out into the world. And if you're enjoying the podcast, well, then there might be more people out there who would enjoy it as well. If you want to find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group.